mean, people have probably heard about avoiding blue light in the evening, but in my experience, people aren't understanding how big of a difference it makes. Welcome to the Phase 4 Podcast, inspired by Vishen Lakhiani and Ajit Nawalkar, co-founders of Evercoach, a division of Vine Valley. In this podcast, we speak to coaches and creatives about where they were, where they are, and where they are going. This is the intersection of what we focus on expands, and your story is your superpower. My guest today is Dr. Catherine Darley. She's a natural sleep and circadian health expert. And if you want to grab a pen and a paper, this is going to be an information session. And let's just jump right in. Doctor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am too. I'm so happy. This is a close topic to my heart. Sleep has become one of the, out of all the things that we do between journaling, all for fitness, body, mind, spirit, all those things. Sleep is for me right near the top. So um, I think a good place for some people might not know, what is a circadian health expert? Yeah, so uh, we have these 24-hour rhythms in our body where our organs do more or less of their function at different times of day. An example that I like to give JP because it resonates for a lot of people is our digestive system. Our digestive system is active during the day and less active at night. So if you've ever tried to stay up late to finish a project, get up early for travel, or if you've done shift work where you're working overnight, if you try to eat at the t- in the middle of the night at a time that you don't typically eat, the food can just sit there and it, you get indigestion because literally our digestive system is designed to turn off at night. Yeah. And so the circadian rhythm is like a clock, right, inside it's, of us? Yeah, totally a clock. And, and it's set in our brain. And then there's also per, what we call peripheral clocks, which are literally in every cell. The DNA in your cell has these clock genes that control each cell doing more or less of its function at different times. And uh, what's really interesting is that you can have your circadian rhythm out of alignment with the earth and the environment. You can also have circadian misalignment within your body, like your digestive is in its active state but your liver is in its less active state. And so they're not working together. And uh, there's actually practices and routines that people can adopt to both keep their body in sync with the environment, the light-dark cycle that the sun provides us, and routines that we can adopt to keep our whole body, each clump of cells, each organ, working together and in alignment. That's ultimately what we want is circadian alignment. What we, That's what we call it. Perfect. So maybe what are some of those ideas with the light dark for the, with the earth, and then we'll go into with our, with our cell. Yeah. So one of the things that's changed a huge amount for the human experience in just the last 200 years is now we have electric light and electricity in general. So we can have it 
be light in our homes. We can have refrigeration. All of those things have removed us actually from the natural light dark cycle. And what many people don't know is that there's actually uh, recommendations, health recommendations in terms of the amount of light that we get each day. During the day, we're supposed to get what's called 250 lux of light, and it should have blue in it. So to backtrack and give you some of the terms there, one lux, a lux is a measure of light, and one lux is equal to one candle flame from three feet away. So it's not very much light. Inside our homes, we typically have like 150 to 200 lux of light, not much light, even during the daytime. And outdoors at the same time will be 10,000, 15,000, 30,000 lux. So it's an order, several orders of magnitude brighter outdoors than it is in our homes, in our offices. So the recommendation is for our circadian health, our sleep health, that we get 250 lux during the day, which uh, you can check on your smartphone. You can download what's called a lux meter. I encourage people to do this. I did that a while back and I tested my office. So I'm here, there's overhead lights, there's a, a sliding glass door on this side. So it's floor to ceiling windows. Um, I've got my computer here. I've got another computer on the side and I held the lux meter up to my eye level and I was getting only 160 lux of light, which most people when they came into my office would think, oh, this is typical office lighting. And um, so 250 lux during the day, then for sleep, we need it to be really dark. And actually what happens is as the sun goes down naturally outdoors, our circadian system starts to switch into really relaxation sleep mode a couple hours before bed. But when we're getting electric light from screens, from our handheld devices, from having uh, full spectrum lighting in our home, it's giving us too much light, right? And it's, it's more blue, which blue light is particularly suppresses our melatonin, basically, which melatonin is a hormone that helps us sleep and it comes on in darkness. So in the natural world, as the sun sets and the light switches into that really beautiful yellowish, golden, red hues, our natural melatonin can rise. But in the environment that we're in now with the TV, the computer, etc., it suppresses our melatonin until we get into bed and turn out the lights. So the recommendation is for three hours before bed to have 10 lux or less. 10 lux is not very much. It's 10 candle flames. Think about your home and your evening routine. So many people, myself included, are getting more light. Uh, so one trick that people can do is to get some blue blocking glasses. These are mine. They make everything a reddish hue and allow my natural melatonin to start to rise before bedtime. Um, and the other thing is to use your Lux meter and uh, adjust the lighting. And I actually did that around my home recently. And uh, I have a, a special lamp 
that has a dim bulb that's kind of a yellowish hue and that's like the wind down light lamp that we have when it's two hours before bed the other thing is during sleep you want to have one lux or less um, an easy hack to test that is when you're in bed lights are out you're about to go to sleep hold your hand out at arm's length and see if you can see your fingers wiggling if you can see your fingers wiggling that is too much light wow so there's a bunch in there and it's it can go so many ways so one huge thing that you said i is that a normal house with lots of lights on is 250 lux and the sun could be up to 30,000. So that means even on a cloudy day, you're going to get lots of good light from the sun. That's probably something we want to do in the morning. Serotonin, Sarah wakes us up. Melatonin, Mel puts us to sleep. Um, my, my curiosity is wondering, so, okay, the idea for that is that you're going to get a more balanced sleep if you shut down these levels before that. And then when we're talking before about circadian rhythm, <clears throat> my question is about for women specifically, does it change depending on if they're going through a menstrual cycle? Does that make any difference in this? In the circadian rhythm, it does make a little bit of a difference because there's aspects of our circadian system, which is in our brain and in every cell that has... Um, receptors that are estrogen receptors. So, you know, estrogen is peaking around ovulation, the middle of the cycle, and the um, circadian system does have estrogen receptors. So people, women's uh, circadian system can shift a little bit when they're um, mid-cycle. Yeah, and then we also see some sleep changes too later on about the week before menstruation. That's where I was kind of going is because then it might affect the sleep. So, um, yeah. And then, so that was for the outside. And then how about for the light dark with your body, with the cells? And it almost sounds like sometimes the cells can fight with each other. Oh, totally. Yeah. You can have different organs instead of being on the same clock. They're operating on separate clocks. Um, yeah. So the it's the brain that's more sensitive to the light and darkness. And that's what you want to keep in sync with the natural day outside it is more meal times and exercise and social interactions actually that synchronize all of our organs within our body so this is kind of new information for a lot of people i think in the past there was kind of this cool factor of just eating when you're hungry, working when you feel inspired, you know, not really having a routine. But our circadian system is so dependent on having a regular routine. So the recommendation is to have distinct meals instead of just kind of snacking throughout the day. You know, whether it's three or four or five meals, doesn't matter uh, in this sense, but just really regular meals. And that they should start within the same 30-minute window across all seven days of the week. So if you're having breakfast between 7 and 7.30 on work days, days off, you should also be having breakfast at that same time. Uh, so it's m your meal times all within starting within the same 30-minute uh, window, excuse me, 
your exercise should be in the same part of the day, whether it's before noon, afternoon, or evening. Actually, if you have exercise after 7 p.m., it's going to shift your body clock later and make it harder to sleep. So things that, you know, we've got all this light, uh, artificial light at night that is pushing us to be more night owls. So what we can do to counterbalance that in some extent is to have our meals early and exercise early because those will help shift us to be more morning people. All of this also has a big impact on people's mental health, which I think, you know, particularly with the pandemic, challenged people's mental health, but also just shined more of a light. And and thankfully, people are feeling more comfortable to talk about um, mental health challenges that they're having. And the circadian rhythms and the circadian health also have an impact on mental health, which I, I wanted to mention to your audience. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's so, I love what you're saying because it's a, it's not just like go to sleep at this time. There's a holistic approach and it's the daytime effects and nighttime and vice versa. And similar to the way you want to have your meals and your exercise at the same time, I'm guessing that your sleep should probably be consistent at the same time too. Yes, exactly. Uh, so what I, I use the phrase sleep healthy lifestyle that you can't just focus on sleep those eight hours or for some people six hours, right? It's really like, are you designing a lifestyle throughout those 24 hour days, day after day, week after week that supports your sleep and your circadian rhythms? Um, and what we know is that variability in your sleep hours in terms of going to bed and waking up at different times or sometimes having long sleep and sometimes having short duration of sleep, that really is not healthy. The I, the recommendation is that your, we, we use this term sleep midpoint, which is getting a lot more traction as an idea. It means basically if you look at your wake time and your, your bedtime and your wake time, what is the midpoint? And you look at that across the week. You don't want your sleep midpoint to vary by more than half an hour. So really going to bed and getting up at the same time. Getting up at the same time actually is more important from a sleep and circadian rhythm standpoint than going to bed at the same time. I think sometimes there's a, a little misunderstanding. People are more, fo more focused on regularizing their bedtime, but it's the wake time that makes a bigger difference. And then you also don't want the sleep duration to vary more than an hour across the week. So, you know, eight to nine hours and that's your window and that's how much you always get is, is better than six and 10 and seven and all over the place. Beautiful. So with waking, the morning part being important. So there's two things I want to touch on there. The second is going to be caffeine. Um, the first thing is though, um, we're coming into winter now where I am. There's a uh, seasonal affective disorder. You're talking about mental health and so this is a big thing, right? People wake up, they feel like crap, it's cold out, they don't want to go anywhere or do anything. And then they start feeling this cycle of depression or anxiety or whatever it is. But it's it's partly to do with the first steps that they do when they wake up. So is there anything people can do right away when they wake up to make it easier? Yeah, so um, a couple things. One, you want to get at least 20 minutes of outdoor light in the first hour Ideally, hour of waking up. 
two hours if that's what you can do, but at least 20 minutes in the first hour or two of waking up, of being outside, getting that full uh, sunlight. Don't wear sunglasses during that time. You know, if you can um, have your face uncovered, your forearms uncovered, your uh, chest uncovered, get some sunlight, and then uh, uh, have a big glass of water. You know, we go through our sleep period, eight hours or, or maybe more, you know, uh, people tend to have more bladder um, need to use the bathroom in the night and as they get older. And so sometimes people will stop drinking two hours before bedtime. So then it's been a total of 10 hours, no moisture intaking, but every time you breathe, you're exhaling some moisture. So you want to replenish that because hydration actually has an effect on sleep too. Right. So with the hydration, I've heard <clears throat> you can lose up to 500 milliliters of liquid out of your body just from breathing in and out from condensation over a nighttime while you're sleeping. Yeah. And I, I've seen also up to a liter. Wow. So that means we're all dehydrated with the second we wake up. The idea with the lights, actually, maybe we'll talk about caffeine first and then I'll mix the two together. But so what about caffeine first thing in the morning? You have any ideas about that? Yeah, caffeine first thing in the morning is not um, is not a good idea because it interacts with your cortisol. Cortisol is a hormone that helps us wake up, and the natural pattern is that cortisol is low lowest couple hours before we wake up, but it starts to rise. Maybe it starts to rise three hours before we wake up and it helps us feel energetic and it'll peak around noon or so in a, in a healthy person. And the caffeine, so we don't, we shouldn't need the caffeine at that point if we've gotten enough rest. Uh, better to use the caffeine a little bit later, two or three hours into your day. The light also has an impact on caffeine. Sometimes people will work with a practitioner who tests their their cortisol at night and it'll be elevated. But what we know is this artificial light at night raises your cortisol. And because cortisol is a hormone that helps us wake up, you want it to be low before bed. And that's just another reason that you want to be having dim light for those hours before bed. Beautiful. You kind of got there, but um, so the 20 minutes in the morning of getting that sunlight, and if you can't, maybe you can't, maybe you live on the 50th floor, there's no balcony, at least just turn on a light first thing in the morning. But then that and the caffeine, both of them have an effect the following night, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Caffeine, the thing, the thing about caffeine and al alcohol is that as we age, our liver doesn't clear those compounds as easily. And so they can uh, affect us more when we're 50, 60, 70 than they did when we were 20, 30, 40. And, um, you know, so caffeine, the recommendation is to stop caffeine afternoon. Um, and since you're not supposed to have it for a couple hours after you wake, that makes it, you know, you've got a two or three hour caffeine window in the morning and, and that's it. And then it also has like the half life is like six hours. So then, yeah, you're going, by the time you're going to sleep, you're still wired if you're having, if too late. Right. And we, we know, you know, there's um, a bell curve. People fall on a barrel curve for how long it takes the caffeine to clear. It can be up to 10 hours depending on your age and 
whatever else um, medications you're taking. Amazing. This is all such valuable information. Um, I'm wondering about the the idea of, you said how it's low levels a few hours before waking up and then slowly it just rises. So I hear people saying the best time to like meditate is right early in those first hours in the morning, like 4 or 5 a.m. while it's dark for the rest of the world. Does the planet have its own circadian rhythm? The planet definitely does. The trees, the animals. Yeah, I mean, that's you've got this rhythmic world, right, which our human physiology evolved in. And I think of the rhythmic world, our circadian rhythm is the link between our natural environment and our sleep. Because then, you know, we've got these quiet periods in our circadian rhythm, which is when we sleep. Right. So then that goes even more to the point about that meditation works the best then because everyone else and even the planet is a little quieter and the stress levels aren't there yet, but they get there by right. 9 a.m. Okay. Uh, I digress. So <laughs> you kind of touched on um, maybe one of the new breakthroughs, but is there new new strategies, new tips that we don't know that haven't maybe hit the mainstream, but the science is there that we can share? Yeah. I think the light and dark piece is just really going to hit. I mean, people have probably heard about avoiding blue light in the evening, but in my experience, people aren't understanding how big of a difference it makes. It makes a huge difference. And so I encourage people, and there's actually been studies with people who have, who are strongly night owls and who have insomnia that wearing the blue blocking glasses for a couple hours before going to bed every night improves sleep significantly after just two weeks. So, um, you know, unless you're living off grid, I think that blue blocking glasses is what everybody needs. Um, the other thing that I think is really, um, trending or or about to like break into people's awareness is uh is just how sleep is a treatment for everything like if you you know because you're going to have some listeners today we're going to have some listeners today who may not be having sleep problems but they're having blood pressure problems and if you're not getting sufficient hours of sleep, then your blood pressure is going to go higher. I think the most shocking thing or surprising thing for people to know is that insufficient sleep is actually a diagnosable disorder. It's about third a third of people who are only getting six hours of sleep a night. And six hours is not enough for virtually anybody. It's probably like 2% of the human population who's truly fine with six hours. And so I just really encourage people to get the amount of sleep that they need each and every night. And I, I, you know, there's this bell curve between seven and nine hours that adults need, but each one of us falls somewhere on that bell curve. You know, if you are someone who does best with eight and a quarter hours, getting seven and a half might sound, oh, like you're in that range that's recommended, but you're going to be 45 minutes sleep deprived every day. And that's going to cause problems. I think about it like five in five domains. You've got your physical health and mental health, 
blood pressure, anxiety, what, you know, lots of examples. You also have then physical performance, like driving, or if you do a sport, I'm here in the Pacific Northwest looking forward to ski season. You know, if you're sleep deprived, you're more likely to have injuries. And then there's also cognitive performance, like taking the world of sleep medicine and winnowing it down into here's three things you can do, right? And then there's also emotional intelligence. Like right now you're smiling. I'm well rested. I can tell you look happy or interested, right? But if I was sleep deprived and I was coming into this interview, I wouldn't be able to understand the emotions that your face is showing as well. And so think about all the interactions you have with a person or maybe your loved one or a coworker or something across the day and across the weeks. If you're chronically sleep deprived and you're missing that information, this relationship is not going to be as good because you're just not going to be in sync with that. Yeah, 100%. And then just to even add on that, like the stress response, right? You can't, sometimes we can't turn it off now. It's our boss, traffic, mortgage, inflation, taxes, election, blah, 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 war. So the only time we can turn off the stress response is while we're sleeping, which is the only time our body's going to be able to rest and repair. And if you don't get that, that's when people are definitely headed for disease. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I people use their phone as an alarm. And so I want to introduce a couple ideas here. One is if you're using an alarm to wake up, that means you have not gotten enough sleep that night. Hands down, period, end of sentence. And that's a novel idea for a lot of people. We're just so conditioned to like, yeah, once you're in middle school or probably middle school, you wake up to an alarm, right? But that means that you have cut short your sleep and you haven't gotten what you need to fuel your day and have those five domains just be really strong and on your side. So the way that I like to use the alarm on the phone is for that two hours before bed. Have the alarm go off, put on your blue blockers if you've still got screens on, turn down the lights, switch into relaxing activities, and just really kind of coast, like from that stress response you're talking about, JP, down to being ready to sleep. Like coast down, slow down, let your melatonin come on board, let your thoughts settle, etc. Beautiful. So there's like apps, right? You showed us one that you can get to find the lux, but there's ones that you can get to um, turn down the colors. Even the phones itself in the settings now, some of them have different phone colors. Right. Um, but I'm wondering about, uh, okay, the the time of day. So if somebody's just working, maybe not night shift, but like is the time the more consistent? Like if someone goes to bed at 2 a.m., go to bed at 2 a.m. every day is better than like switching yeah. it around. Right. It's better than moving it all around. Uh, we each have what's called a chronotype or um, that's the most common phrase. And what that means basically is whether you're a, strongly a morning person, strongly a night person or neither. And I think in the past, there's really been some kind of blaming and shaming of people who are night folks that, oh, the early bird catches the worm. And if you just tried harder or, you know, because sometimes teenagers get told they're lazy because they're not ready to like 
found out of bed at seven in the morning, you know, but it's just, um, I think about it as something that you're given or assigned, like your eye color, you don't have a choice. It's just, or how tall you are. Right. And, um, there's actually good reasons in a human population to have people with different chronotypes because it means somebody's up. Somebody can watch the fire. Somebody can watch out for predators. Somebody can take care of the elders or ill or children, right? And um, so it really, it serves us as a community to have people who have different set points. Um, but, you know, there definitely is some bias against people who are strongly night owls. And if you, what I prefer as best as possible, I know it's not always possible, but if people can just identify what are their natural sleep times and then fit their lifestyle to that as best as possible, of course, it's not always possible, but it sure makes it easier for people because then you're sleeping when you're naturally sleepy you're awake and alert and functioning and getting stuff done when you are in that state to do so. And it's, it's much better for people. I love the idea. I never thought of it as like, it's an evolutionary trait that maybe protected us back in the day that someone has to stay awake further to protect everyone else. Um, so I got two more things and I definitely want to respect your time. Um, you can either bury them together or separate. I want to know about the watch, sleeping with the watch on, and then the watch that gives us the different sleep cycles. There's five sleep cycles. The reason you're saying the times is because everyone's probably between 80 and 100 minutes, maybe. Can you speak to those? Yeah. So um, the different wearable technology, they have some pros and cons, honestly. A pro is that people are paying attention to their sleep. They're striving to improve it. They're educating themselves. Those are all great strategies. One of the, uh, I have a couple concerns though, and these are also shared by other sleep professionals, is that the apps um, and the consumer wearables haven't been 100% validated. So some of them have errors in terms of they'll overestimate stage one or they'll overestimate st stage REM, something like that. The data is not 100% accurate. So, you know, basing your actions on data that's not good data is never something you want to do. The other thing is sometimes I think it makes people be hypervigilant, um, whereas really we want to look at how was your sleep this week? Not just last night, but how was it this week compared to four weeks ago? You know, are we trending better? Because paying attention to every little bump in the road, so to speak, is sometimes counterproductive because it increases people's anxiety. There's this great um, quote by C.S. Lewis that there's a few things in life that are harder to do the harder you try. Loving, behaving like you're unaffected and sleep. That's not exactly it. I kind of scrambled it, but that's basically the point. And, and we do know that from uh, working with people who have insomnia is that sleep is one of those things that the harder you try, the worse you do. And, and so the apps sometimes can feed into that difficulty, I, I'm afraid. A hundred percent. 
I remember when I first got my Apple Watch, I'm like, it says don't sleep with it within like five centimeters of your head. And I'm like, just people are like, that's what, <laughs> and they in your heart as well. And then, yeah, I was tracking it. And then it wasn't that I was anxious, but I was always wanting to know and it became a distraction. And now I don't even use it. I sleep beautifully. I wake up one minute before my alarm goes off almost every day. And it's exact same time I go to bed, exact same time I wake up. And it's just, it's a habit, right? You can develop and build it. And I guess what we're talking about here is sleep skills. So um, maybe if you have the, the five, I don't know, and you're the expert. So the five um, stages and how long everyone's different, but like an average should be, I think at one point mine was like 89 minutes. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've got a stage REM which is our category REM, which is standalone. And then we have non-REM, which is the second category. And that's broken down into stage one, two, and three sleep. Stage one sleep is really transitionary sleep. We don't want more of it. And if you wake someone up in stage one, they often won't even recognize that they were asleep. It's so close to wakefulness. Stage two sleep, we spend about half of our night in, about half of our sleep total. And that is important for learning. And stage three sleep is the brainwaves are very high amplitude and very slow. So we really feel like we're deeply asleep and it is called deep sleep or slow wave sleep. And it's really important for two things. One is the majority of our growth hormone is secreted during deep sleep. So we want that for physical repair. Even as I'm just like talking with my hands, as I'm talking with you, micro tears are happening in my muscles and those are going to be repaired tonight while I'm in deep sleep and have that growth hormone. The other thing that is just fascinating is that we've recently learned in the last 10 years or so that in the brain, there's this lymph system that opens up to almost twice its size during sleep and clears the metabolic waste products from our brain. And uh, one of the metabolic waste products that's cleared out is called beta amyloid protein. That protein accumulates into plaques in Alzheimer's disease. So there's this connection between your brain health and sleep and Alzheimer's disease, which is just really rich. And then, uh, so we spend about 20% of our night in um, stage three sleep and then REM, the brainwaves are very fast, very slow, excuse me, very fast, very low amplitude. And that's when we can have those really complex story-like dreams because the brainwaves are most similar to waking. And uh, that's important for learning memory. It's also important for emotional regulation. And so this gets back to, you know, that's one in three adults who are sleep deprived, we have more REM towards the end of our sleep. So if you're sleep deprived, you're kind of selectively cutting off REM, which is gonna cause potentially problems with learning, memory, and emotional regulation. That's part of that connection to um, mental health and sleep deprivation. Amazing. So we're talking about sleep skills all together. Um, yeah. And You've given us a bunch of different strategies, ideas, and formations. What are maybe the top strategies that somebody starting off would want to do? Yeah, so I would start in the morning, get up at the same time, get 20 minutes of light within the first hour or two, 
have your me meals all at the same time, two hours before bed, have the alarm go off, turn down the lights, put on your blue blockers, go to bed at the same time. That, that would be like a key routine. And um, I want to offer your audience a free download that is kind of a build your own sleep plan with these principles in it. Um, the other thing that many people struggle with is having a racing mind. One thing is if you, in my experience with patients, if you have that wind down time start two hours before bed and, um, you know, the blue blockers and all that, it helps calm your mind just doing that. And then there's also exercises that you can do to really settle your thoughts intentionally before you get into bed. Um, you know, one of the things I actually feel sad about JP is that with all this connectivity that we have, the idea of the idea has taken hold that we should just always be on, right? We should always be connected to social media. We should check our emails from our boss at home. And that is a really new idea in the scope of human history. Most of human history, when the sun went down, your activities were fairly limited and you couldn't like hustle. You couldn't hustle. And the idea that we should be checking in with work or the news in the middle of the night is just really a new idea. And I, I encourage people to, you know, just adopt the attitude that sleep is for sleep time is for rest and restoration and that we don't even need to like process our thoughts or our to-do list in the middle of the night. Yeah, I love that. Even it's for rest and repair, but now you're telling me about um, the growth hormone secretion is doubled, which means it's actually making you stronger and building you more. So that's so cool. Um, I'm the same. When I'm coaching, one of the first things I'll ask people is like, what do you do first thing when you wake up? Uh -huh. And like, usually they're like, I'm checking my email or my social media. And I'm like, okay, well, you need to stop that first and foremost because it does. You start your day on the wrong foot. You're reacting and you don't have time for yourself, which is part of what the sleep idea is. I think before I ask my final question, is there anything else you want to share or want us to know? And first of all, actually, I appreciate it. Thank you for the download. That's amazing. We'll definitely get that out to people. But is there anything you'd like to share that maybe I didn't even touch on? I would just like to encourage people to take 10 days, like think through your optimal plan and take 10 days to just really get all of the sleep that you need and pay attention to the effect it can have. Because I think so many people have lost touch with what it feels like to be well rested and you just need to do an experiment and experience it. Yeah, that's great. And it's, you, you can go get help and there's clinics out there and things like that, but also be a, a Check the evidence in your own life. Try different things and see what works and doesn't for you. Um, I, I'm so grateful. Um, I think, so my final question is, how can people reach you? Yeah, so you can reach me on skilledsleeper.com. That's my website. I have some courses that are designed for specific groups, women sleep, family sleep, leadership, etc. And then uh, on social 
Uh, I'm at Skilled Sleeper on Instagram. I have a weekly Substack that goes deep into a topic if people like the long format. So Skilled Sleeper on a bunch of different platforms, different, uh, you know, short tidbits on Insta and shorts, a longer form on YouTube and Substack. Amazing. Dr. Catherine, I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. Sleep well, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.